0: Say every night, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that was the essence of his spirituality. So, in that spirit, on this very exciting night, because it's the night before the intensive, <clears throat> I always am uh, very excited before an intensive because that's. Principally, what Baba told me to do: hold intensives, and so I get to do that, uh, and we all get to participate in Baba's grace. By the way, Saul is a vital. He's got to be a vital to explore so intrepidly. Quite, quite a big range. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. <clears throat> it's also uh, the uh, Baba's. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Lunar. Lunar Lunar Maha Samadhi. We we celebrated uh, the Samadhi on uh, on the calendar day, the solar day, but it's also that. So we're doubly, double reasons, uh, aside from the fact that he's Baba, three reasons uh, that we can, we're celebrating Baba tonight on the intensive weekend. And uh, I always do a program called Uh, Ganeshpuri days, just like my book, um, on that night. These are question-answers from from my day with Baba in the ashram in the early 70s. And we we did daily sadhana, daily programs, and they ground on with no uh, intellectual relief. And so we ground on, ground on, and... uh, you start to eat your own flesh after a while, and your brain starts eating itself. And then Baba took mercy and he decided to do question and answer sessions. So he had a little bit of cognitive, uh, you know, input. So we used to go into his room three times a week and sit with him and he'd answer our questions. And there were a wide range of spiritual topics and related topics. <clears throat> and then it got a little too big for that, and we, we had the, them out in the, the courtyard. So uh, I'd like to do some from Guinnessbury days. And before that, let's look at pictures of Baba from those days. This was, this was a monster picture was in the hall of this one. Uh, and this was taken in the 60s before I got there. And uh, it's uh, quite, um, yes. <laughs> Powerful. Next, and this is from my time. Baba leading a chant uh, during some summertime. I don't know where that would be, whether it was in the ashram or elsewhere. And then another one. This is an iconic photo of Baba from those days. We have another. Okay, and this was definitely from. Later, actually, when, when the elephant was there, Baba sitting and the was about to feed the elephant, sitting in the courtyard. Uh, Ananda was the elephant. Okay, <clears throat> so these are question answers with Baba uh, in the early 70s. First one, the 8th of December, 1971. I hadn't, this is my first year there. Uh, Barry, now now let me preface this question uh, before, by telling you that <clears throat> early in my stay, that Baba brought a beautiful murti, a statue of Bhagwan Nityananda into Ashram. A huge statue, uh, different pose from our statue of Bhagwan, uh, but he was very proud of it. It was made by a, a sculptor in Bombay named Mandrukar, uh, and it was a great likeness, and uh, he installed it with great pomp on his birthday in 1971, in May, and he loved it. He would come, and during RT, he had them bore a hole in the fall wall, people, and he would look in, and watch the statue during RT, uh, and uh, he, he loved it, and he told us, I feel like my guru has come, and." So on. That's the background to this question by Barry, an American, um, who asked a really dumb question. (laughs) And he uh, got a a suitably uh, strong response from Baba. And Barry, it's probably all right for me to say now, used to walk around. with like the weight of the universe on his shoulders, looking miserable all the time. And I once looked into his locker. He had (laughs) 10,000 dietary supplements in there. And he was full of worry about himself, self-concern. Nothing eats the the spirit up like self-concern. Self-concern. We're all given to it, but if you give into it in a big way, it destroys you. So, I often worry about whether I have (laughs) self-concern. Barry says, Kabir, as translated by Tagore, continually praises the guru, but also admonishes one to stay in the world. He also seems to look askance at religious ritual, especially idol worship. Would you explain this? So, you're talking to to a man who's just gotten the Murti, which he's very proud of. Remember. (coughs) Baba. When you read a book, you must be intelligent, refined, and perceptive enough to get at its deep meaning. Otherwise, the book will just mislead you. I've made a thorough study of Kabir. And Kabir was one of Baba's favorite poets. Extraordinary. He spoke... uh, with great intensity. And he was always uh, cutting through spiritual hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, and he, and Baba loved the way he just cut to the, to the heart of things. <clears throat> he says, Kabir is not really against religious ritual. Every reformer would sometimes criticize certain things. I too often criticize certain things. And now listen to this. <clears throat> I used to listen to these questions. My first one was, my first sort of uh, concern when I was hearing an answer was a self-concern answer. Is this about me in a veiled way? 75% of the time I thought it was about me. But sometimes I say, I wonder who he's talking about. So This is what Baba is saying. I quite often say to people, what's the point of living in an ashram if you haven't been able to overcome your wickedness? And then I started thinking, I wouldn't want to be Barry now. (laughs) There are many persons who come to the ashram out of egotistical and selfish motives. But does it mean that such ones should should not go to an ashram? If sometimes I speak against someone at the ashram, it just means I'm trying to purge him of his impurities. In the same way, Kabir, by criticizing certain aspects of the rituals, was trying to purge purged them of their impurities. Kabir himself was a great worshiper of the guru, and the worship of the guru and the worship of the image of the guru are one and the same. Kabir worshiped the image of his guru, and he sang the divine name very intensely. The guru of Kabir was Ramananda. He too believed in worshiping the form of the guru. My guru never worshiped idols. I, too, do not worship idols, I worship him. Anyone who considers the image of his guru to be a mere idol is a stupid fool. Image worship should not be looked upon as a religious ritual. It's an expression of the intensity of your love. Take the case of the Christians. They like to have pictures of Christ everywhere and wear the cross. You call them idol worshippers? They do this out of love for Christ. I know Kabir very well. He never condemned, condemned any ritual. If he cr- criticized something, it does not mean that he was against it. I will recite from him. And then he recites a poem. In this song, he says he's talking about a Muslim priest, a Qazi, who reads the Koran and performs a ritual, and then goes and slaughters a goat, cooks it, and eats it in the name of God. Kabir says this priest is not continually aware of God within him. Does that mean that Kabir is speaking against the Quran or condemning rituals? Kabir says that there are others who recite the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, and give discourses on it, but they lack discrimination. Their ambition is to become great gurus. They sing and play their instruments with abandon. Many people begin to follow them, but they never become aware of their true conscious self the Lord existing within them. Does that mean that Kabir is condemning the Gita or the students of the Gita? This is a a real blast. I think you might wonder what Barry was feeling at this point. Then Kabir also talks about those who are caught up in the outer show of religion. Such a one applies the sacred mark to his forehead, wears beads, and goes around to different centers of pilgrimage, but has not made any inner discovery and is not conscious of his inner self. Does that mean Kabir is condemning pilgrimage or holy marks? He's only describing the condition of a certain religious type. Kabir says, if you can find the Sadhguru and follow his instructions, the inner window will be opened. Kabir was a great guru worshiper. I will tell you how he received his initiation from his guru, Ramananda, on some other occasion. He was spurned like a clavia. Being a Muslim, he did not receive the mantra at once. His guru refused to impart a mantra to him because he was a Muslim. Well, I can tell you the story. Many of you have heard the story before, but Kabir was a Muslim, he was living in Benares, and there was a great guru named Swami Ramananda <clears throat> who he admired, he knew he was a realized being, but he also kept caste distinctions and so on. So he wouldn't initiate uh, Kabir, probably because the other devotees would freak out. But Kabir decided that he would trick him. And he discovered that Ramananda used to walk down a certain way to the river every morning for his bath. So he dug a hole and he hid in the hole. And um, when uh, Ramananda walked by, he tripped on him and he shouted out, Ram Ram! So Kabir said, "Now I'm initiated." I... <laughs> and so he started saying "Ram, Ram, Ram, Ram." He, he took that as initiation. Should I tell you the rest of the story? Yeah. So he got, uh, uh, he got, you know, he he said the mantra, and he got lots of shakti, and became greater and greater. And people came to him. Soon he became uh, a great guru and singing uh, wonderful poems. And the word spread that he sang that Ramananda is my guru. This Muslim. Were saying, the Ramanan is my guru. So the other disciples, the jealous disciples, ran to Ramanan and said, there's this Muslim guy, says you're his guru. And Ramanan said, bring him to me. So they brought Kabir. He says, who's your guru? He says, you are. He says, who gave you the Ram mantra? You did. He said, you lie. He took off his paduka and he hit him on the head. And... I said, well, if you didn't initiate me then, now you've initiated me. (laughs) So Ramananda said, you're right. Let's have a two state solution. Anyway, Uh, so, (laughs) who did I get to? I didn't mean to do that. In fact, it was after reading stories like that of Kabir and his guru, Ramananda, that I became a casteless guru, Baba said. I stopped caring about caste or race or community of a seeker. So he himself, uh, he did some radical things. Uh, He had everyone sit together at meals, and uh, even the swamis and the brahmins would all sit with everyone. And eventually he brought uh, the Westerners in, too, and the Westerners helped in the kitchen, which was unheard of, too, so he did that. All right, now, 24th of December, 1971, uh, an interesting question by one of the the, uh, Ashramites named Shankar. (laughs) And so, yes, it's me. (laughs) And I don't remember the context of this, and I probably should be hypnotized and try to recover it. So there's a backstory, but I don't know it. Shankar said, sometimes I think that certain improvements should be made in the ashram. (coughs) This creates a problem. Is my ego trying to assert itself by not accepting the way things are done here? Or on the other hand, am I taking an interest because the ashram is becoming more and more my home? how should I deal with this problem? That's the way I thought Like in the midst of a conflict. <clears throat> Baba, you should first find out whether any improvements are really needed. If they're needed, do try to bring them about. It's generally seen that people who try to improve things only succeed in spoiling them. <laughs> Take the case of modern reformers. We find that instead of reforming the world, they only bring disaster to themselves. It's very good that you feel so attached to the ashram. In fact, you should feel that the ashram is your body. Just as you take care of your body, you should take care of the ashram. It's only then that your devotion will be complete. If improvements are needed, they should certainly be made, but you should bear in mind that an ashram should not be turned into a place of comfort and luxury. In an ashram, it's very essential to live a life of discipline, regularity, and hard work, because hard work is essential for the body and contemplation of the self. But wherever improvements are absolutely necessary, they should be made. I like the latter part of your statement very much. It's a sign of a higher stage in devotion to begin to consider the ashram to be just like your body. That's very sweet, isn't it? So I used to, so now I think that possibly we should intensify the discipline in the ashram from that answer. You know, in the New York City ashram, they would have eight people living in a room, a normal room. There would be four double deck, you know, bunk beds, and then more than eight people. They had four in each, one on each wall, and then one in the center. And then they put all their clothes under the bed so they had to share the space under the bed. And they lived like that happily in the middle of New York City. So I think we should move like that. We could expand the population of Ashram by at least a factor of six. <laughs> but those were different times. <laughs> what do you think, Davy Ma? <laughs> I, think, I think four could live in that easily. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, question. <clears throat> this is um, from Kalyani. What should we do with feelings of anger that arise from within for no apparent reason and that seem to demand a target for expression. <clears throat> and she was an American woman who, uh, to my, uh, my humble eye, was angry all the time. <laughs> Baba, and this is Baba's great, great teaching on, on anger here. Baba, when strong feelings of anger arises, begin to talk to that feeling. You big fool, who could be more stupid than you? <laughs> don't let it express itself on an outer level. Tackle it within yourself. So He's, he's agreeing with Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff always said, don't express negative emotion. It's all right that it, it arises, but you don't have to give expression. Anger might arise, but when you express it externally, then you create all kinds of uh, webs of difficulty. But if you can contain it, then you gain strength yogically and ultimately overcome it. Baba says, let your anger become its own victim instead of making someone else its target. Get angry at your anger, that's what he said. If your anger falls on an innocent person, you're being unfair to him. But if it turns on itself, then it's reaping the fruits of its own karma, which is quite fair. <laughs> instead of afflicting others, it should afflict itself. That would be the best way of teaching a lesson to your anger. Irrational anger is due to some impurity, and a seeker should not be subject to such fits. If there's a certain reason to make you angry, angry can be understood. But if anger arises within for no reason, it obviously shows that your heart is tainted. Uh, A good book, Angry for No Good Reason. (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> but in all fairness, you know, the, that uh, talking about the typology that Glilavati so eloquently talked about I mean, in terms of the chickens, <laughs> um, <clears throat> that vitals usually have difficulty with anger, solids have difficulty with anxiety or fear, and peculiars have di- difficulty with depression. And so, uh, and each of those, you could write a book about how problematic those particular feelings are. And you have to learn, according to your type, you how to master those feelings. Baba says, the Lord says uh, in the Gita that anger destroys discrimination. Anger is self-destructive. It will not depart, leaving you feel blessed and happy no, it will help you live a longer life. It interrupts you only to vitiate your mind, destroy your capacity for reason, and to swallow your joy and bliss. Then it departs. <laughs> and there is a, there's a passage, is it in the Gita somewhere, where it says that anger uh, then becomes something, uh, confusion, loss of discrimination, finally it ends in madness, and then death. <laughs> so, actually, there is that, I wonder if it's the Gita. I can't remember. It's in one of these uh, texts. <clears throat> and of course, Baba, as a vital, anger would have been the thing that he probably dealt with most in uh, his sadhana. It is anger which is the cause of all the different kinds of mental imbalances and degrees of lunacy, neurosis, or psychosis, whether it be fits of neurosis lasting for a week, a fortnight, or a month, or whether it makes one 25%, 50%, or 75% crazy. <clears throat> in all these cases, the imbalances arise from anger. Anger is a terrible fire which burns up the capacity of right reason. You lose your discrimination. You can't tell what's good from what's wrong, and you act uh, out of that anger. And we've seen it, haven't we, in the world. You'll find that the insomniacs and people who have become slaves to drugs are people are particularly great friends to anger. There are many boys and girls who come here and tell me that they don't feel like studying, and they ask me what to do. These would be the Indian kids. <clears throat> I ask them if they flare up often, even on small pretexts, and the answer is almost always in the positive. Then I tell them it's anger which is destroying their capacity for absorbing anything. Therefore, discard your anger because anger is one's worst enemy. You like that? How are we doing? <clears throat> I've got uh, oh, two more. Okay. Oh, this is an interesting one. I think I'll do one more, maybe. What do you think? All right. This is from Kedar Not. This is in August of 1972. Now, Kedar not was... Uh, one of Baba's attendants. He would often attend him on at his, at his perch. And Nath was very peculiar. He was an Indian boy, very peculiar. Uh, and he later, Baba gave him sannyas, he became Swami Keshavananda. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's passed on from this mortal coil. Uh, but I'm suspicious of this question, and I think that it's a plant. Baba would often take close people and plant questions according to something and you can decide what what Baba's reacting to. Kedonat says, it's got the characteristic of a planet saying these people are doing this. You You never ask Baba a question like that. If in some future life, on some future plane of consciousness you meet Baba, don't ask him about other people. Ask them a question about yourself, okay? It's just a hint. <clears throat> Otherwise, I'm going to tell Baba that you people are always asking questions <laughs> about other people. Okay. or not, I'm witnessing a strange phenomenon. <laughs> My senses go off. On the one hand, there are some people who are young and who come from good families and consider themselves to be pure and handsome and even strong, but they're absolutely blank with regard to entertainment. And, <laughs> and, their heart, and their hearts are callous. On the other hand, there are people who have come from distant places and who do not consider themselves to be pure and whose past lives might not have been good either, yet they seem to have some entertainment. How do you explain this? You see what I mean? That's an impossible question. It must be that some of the the uh, Indians of high attainment were criticizing the Westerners who were obviously from low birth and all that. And so Baba got pissed off, <clears> the <throat> foreigners. But uh, Baba's at his fiery best. Baba, one will always fall lower and lower if one begins to consider oneself important and take pride in things which relate to the body. It is good to consider yourself to be great with regard to the inner self, but not with regard to your body or externals. One may come from a very good family, be very bright in his appearance, and possess all the outer advantages, all that relates relates to the body. Somebody came here the other day (laughs) and asked me what I thought of the body. (laughs) there's always somebody coming to say something to Baba the body which is such a beautiful creation and I said there are so many mills in Bombay one mill manufactures cloth another manufactures utensils a third manufactures something else likewise the body is a factory which manufactures shit (laughs) it's a shit factory you put, you put beautiful food in one end, and the producer's shit. He used to say, hey, shit factory, why are you so proud? <clears throat> if you begin to consider yourself to be great because of your body, then that consciousness becomes an impediment. You won't be able to meditate. You won't be able to perceive the guru. You won't be able to engage yourself in good and noble deeds. You won't even be able to do chanting. In the Srimad Bhagavat Purana, you find that the wives of the great seers and sages had direct visions of the Lord. And that's the story of Krishna. While the husbands, the great sages, didn't have any spiritual experiences. The reason was that the husbands were always conscious of their purity and status, thinking, I am such a great Brahmin. I am practicing all the holy rituals. I am so great. I come from some a noble family. <clears throat> and it was this consciousness, this pride, which kept them away from the Lord. It's an illusion to consider oneself great with regard to one's body. If one is conscious of the body all the time, if one takes pride in things relating to the body, then one's identification with the body will become stronger and stronger. And if your identification with the body becomes stronger, how can you meditate? How can you attain higher spiritual states? For meditation, for higher attainment, you need to break your identification with the body completely. So you don't get caught up in status and dreams of glory and all kinds of stuff and how great I am or how, The other side of that is how much that person doesn't appreciate me and they say bad things about me and how great I am and that person says this, and you get caught in that. The Bible says, various kinds of people came to my guru. There were some who thought that they were great and were proud of themselves and quite conceited, and they would look down on the other devotees coming to my guru. They thought that those other devotees were low-born, that their actions were impure, and that they were good for nothing, but time proved something quite different. In the end, the so-called low-born, the so-called impure people, gave up everything and became good renunciates and attained the divine state, while the ones who were proud of being born such high families and of the status are still in the same position, living their worldly lives without higher meaning. It is consciousness of family of family pride, which is such a bad obstacle. People who suffer from this consciousness sink, but those, even if they do not come from good families, who are humble, swim across. So the idea is humility, isn't it? Keep your body clean and pure, but do not identify yourself with it. Do not become attached to it. Surrender to the Lord. Do not let your heart remain callous or insensitive. God only values the pure feelings In your heart, fill it with love. So, I think I'll stop with that one. I have one more here. Devamashi, do one more? It's about the Guru Gita. You want to hear that one? Okay, this is um, also that first year. Natalie, she was... She's a French girl, very quiet kind of girl. Uh, she used to work in the bookstore with Girija. <clears throat> and she says, What is the importance of chanting the Guru Gita every day? Is it as important as other prayers? And Baba says, Guru Gita has great importance. <clears throat> it is important as the other prayers. Here in the ashram Swadhyaya, which is basically chanting or chanting of texts. It means literally self-study, but it's done through chanting of a text. It is essential for the mind as good food, regular bath, and sleep are for of the body. Just as we feel concerned about the body in order to maintain its health, we eat regularly, bathe regularly, and sleep without missing even a single day. In the same way, for strengthening the inner heart and mind, we should practice Swadhyaya, with with utmost regularity. If you're not near an ashram where they practice swadhyaya, you can practice with the tape, or you can just say the mantra, that's also swadhyaya. Physical comfort, physical food cannot reach the inner heart. It is only swadhyaya or chanting which can nourish the inner heart. Water, cosmetics, and different perfumes cannot purify the inner being. They cannot even reach it. The inner being can be washed, purified, and nurtured only through swadhyaya, so inner practice. And this is one of the stories that Baba used to tell all the time. It really impressed him. You know, sometimes a story would stand out that this was from his own experience, like the one where he tells about the priests in Benares who told him he was a sinner, and Bhagavan Nityananda telling him that a book comes from the mind, the mind doesn't come from the book. And there's this one. There's a certain girl who stayed here for some time. She was a very good girl. She told me that on the way to the ashram, she met a boy. And they were together for about 10 days. <clears throat> now she's become so attached to him that she misses him all the time. She cannot get rid of thoughts of him. That makes her suffer very much. I told her, then you should be very serious about Swadhyay in that case. Whenever you chant here, whatever you chant here will arise in your mind again and again, and you won't be able to forget it. You'll miss it. Therefore, recite with love." He would say, he'd only met the boy for a couple of days, and he couldn't get it out of his mind. But here you chant and chant, you're going to it into your mind. So how does that work? He was always talking about this event. It struck him. He says, Guru Gita is the most important of all the Gitas. And to understand it, one needs a great heart. That's why it's difficult to understand it. Your heart must be large in proportion to that which you wish to understand. You cannot understand something great with a small heart. Guru Gita makes one the Guru himself. It's a powerful magnet which draws the power of the Guru to you. And for that reason, we're not doing the Guru Gita tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But we're doing something greater—the the, the intensive, which is uh, anyway wonderful stuff, isn't it? Nobody like Baba. Uh, he was a realized being a great saint, a great sitter, and a salty dog all in one. A great man, the greatest man I ever met. So let's meditate. We'll meditate for ten minutes. We'll meditate on the self in any way you want to, because what Baba said and what all the sages agree on is that within every person, there is divinity, there's love, there's peace, there's joy. Within every one of us, no matter how difficult our lives are, how complex and uh, recalcitrant our minds are, that if we learn how to quiet our mind and turn within, we can find this place within. This is a place that all the great sages have found through various means, but they found that same place of joy and consciousness and bliss that's within. And it begins with making the effort to find it. You don't have to read books about it. You have to just start where you are and look within because it's operating perfectly within and when you make some effort, it rises up and comes to meet you. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, thinking of Baba, and, and welcome you on the eve of the intensive. I welcome you all with all my heart. nath Maharaj Kijay. We'll meditate for 10 minutes.